Good morning and welcome to the Football Digest podcast. Thank you so much for joining and I'm delighted to say the game's all here again. Andy Dunn, Chief Sports Writer of the Daily Mirror. Jeremy Cross, Chief Sports Writer of the Daily Star. Matt Dunn, Football Aficionado, as you'll see from his uh, range of Rothmans and news um, behind him from Daily Express. Um, very good morning, guys. What a week. What a week. Uh, Thomas Tuchel's troubles. Uh, the Everton situation. What on earth do you make of that? Lots of transfers going on. And Manchester United on top of Tottenham's incredible fight back at Leicester. What a story that was. But we've got to start, as far as I'm concerned, with Cristiano Ronaldo. Come on, what a talking point, basically. I, I'm, I was there at Brentford. Couldn't believe what I was seeing. One of the true greats of the game. Legends of all time. Yeah, behaving like an absolute petulant school. Basically, um, yeah. I mean, you wouldn't expect that on a Sunday league. What he was talking last week about the examples to set. Yeah, that's not much of one, Cristiano. I have to say, Andy, what did you make of it? Come on, he's 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 hooked there, and then basically, yeah, it doesn't look great, does it? Surely. It doesn't look great, but it's it's pretty much par for the course, isn't it? You wouldn't expect him to react in any other way, to be perfectly honest with you, you know. And I thought Rangwick actually explained it quite well, saying, you know, Cristiano's a goal scorer. He obviously sends the opportunity to uh, to add to his incredible um, goals collection. And then was hooked in, in favour of a, a, a sort of safety first policy from the manager. So, no, it doesn't set a great example. I mean, I guess, you know, when you looked at the other players as well on the bench, the way they looked at him... Um, you know, but it's a tantrum winner. We expect tantrums from him. I wouldn't personally, you know, read too much into it, other than the fact I would read into it the 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 fact that Ronaldo could be withdrawn at that point suggests that his role in the team is is maybe not as as crucial, not as pivotal as he may think. So longer term, never mind the the sort of the way it looked last night, and it didn't look great going forward. When we're thinking now, will he be there next season or not? I think moments like that suggest to you that actually, you know, it's it, this this will be a, a one-season farewell to Manchester United for him, and it's hard to see him being there next season. One season wonder, wow, mm. Matt. Well, what did uh, you? Um, the other seasons he had initially. Yeah, well, absolutely. Well, I was being slightly flippant. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Matt, you were there at Brentford. What did you? What did you make of it? Just before we came on air, he was saying that probably what most offended him was he was replaced by Harry Maguire. Well, absolutely. Who'd you, you know, who'd want that? Um, yeah, uh, it was just remarkable because United were 2-0 up. Uh, they take Ronaldo off and that should be an honour for him. He's like, well done, Cristiano, you've done your job. I can't see why a player of his experience, with all the, we hear every manager moaning about fixture congestion, He's saying, oh, wow, he wants to save me for another game. I don't get why he was offended, but it's all about him. And that's what worries me about. I mean, that that 3-1 result papers over a lot of cracks because they are a team of individuals. I've not seen a United performance worse than the one that they put in the first half. Uh, And looking around the pitch, that's when Ronaldo should be there, waving his arms, trying to G up players, get them going. Not having a hissy fit when they're 2-0 up and the job's already done. It, I can see now why um, Ranić seems to put so much faith in Antti Alanga as well. You know, it was him who turned the game. If he hadn't had a moment of, uh, you know, a brilliance to take take the goal as he did, you know, United were in trouble last night and 
they, they weren't the better team. You know, better finishing, arguably a less adept performance by David De Gea. Uh, and Brentford could have been 3 0 up before United scored. Uh, you know, it wasn't a good performance. They are a bunch of individuals, and Cristiano Ronaldo is the worst of them. Yeah, no, I, I don't. Hey, Matt, Matt, if you um, if you think that's the worst first half performance, hey, I haven't Matt, seen them as much. You as you yourself lucky the desk don't send you up to Old Trafford more often. Yeah, no, fair enough. I mean, Jezza, Jezza, that's the thing. You know, I was going to ask you about. I mean, about Ronaldo, because I mean, you 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 definitely think his future at the club is is you know, uh, beyond this season is in serious doubt, don't you? Um, and, but also, I, I, you know, answer that and then I'll ask you about, well, I'll, I'll, I'll give you a two-parter, basically. What, Renyak? I mean, really, the, I, I have to say, I was absolutely, listen, we've all watched them. They're on TV more often than not. But when, I guess when you see them in the flesh, they were so bad in that first half and looking completely out of, you know, tradition with United with those blue shirts and ridiculous yellow shorts and socks. It's not Manchester United, is it? I mean, say what, what you like, put your allegiances aside. I think we all admire Manchester United for what they stand for as a football club. And and frankly, that wasn't it in the first 45 minutes. Yeah. I mean, look, we, we obviously we always talk about Man United and the state of play at, at Old Trafford and the club's in a state of flux, you know, there's no secret to that. You know, there's stuff going on behind the scenes, which is shambolic, quite frankly. And, you know, it's just when Ronaldo came back, he wouldn't have ever imagined in his, in his worst nightmares that he would, he would now find himself in a scenario where he's playing for an interim manager. And one, let's be honest, R Ralph Ranić is not one of the elite managers in world football. Yet you've got one of the elite players, we've ever, most elite players I've ever seen being taken off in the second half of a game at Brentford by Ralph Ranić. So, you know, it's not, it's not never going to end well, but um, what was your original question? <laughs> Ronaldo, Ronaldo, no, do, yeah. you see it? do you sit beyond? No, the, um, I, mean, this I was told a few weeks ago that he basically is where he's got, obviously got an extent. He's got an option to stay another season. Um, and obviously United would love him to stay, but um I think he wants to wait and see what happens. You can't blame him for that. You know, if they don't finish in the top four, why would he stay? Mm. If they appoint a manager he doesn't fancy, uh, why would he stay? I mean, he'll have numerous options on the table to go somewhere else, I would imagine. Um, so I just can't see anything happening between now and the end of the season that's going to change his mind and think, you know what, this club's going places because it's not. The team have made no pro, and it's not running its fault, but the team are no better now than they were in November when Solskjaer was sacked, really. If you look at the results, the, I know they won last night, but for, like Matt said, first half, they were absolutely battered by Brentford. They should have been 3-0 down. It wasn't for David De Gea, who's been their best player, actually, this season, which says a lot when your goal is your best player. Yeah. They, would have, they would have probably lost that game. So, I mean, if you look at the table, I know they're in the hunt for top four, but I just can't see. I just can't see him finishing in fourth place. No, and obviously, no, that, no. Has, that has massive implications for a club of Man United standing. Of course it does. So, no, so are, are, we thinking, are we thinking no Ranrick and no, no Rangnick and no Ronaldo next season? I mean, the Rangnick thing is, is really... I think Rangnick will move upstairs, won't he? But that, yeah, the issue then me. is, he will, want, he will have a say, a big say in who he appoints, who they appoint as the next manager. He'll want someone to I'd work be, a similar vein to him and that 
is going to restrict how they in the restrict the pool of talent they look at. But what on earth is the point of that? If, if he wants someone to work in the same way as him, then why doesn't he just carry on? I mean, yeah, this I, I, I it, it's absolutely. It, I mean, it's just so bizarre. I don't situation. actually agree with you, Danny, on that one. I, I, Ran, Raniak, I think, hasn't been an elite coach for years. And I think the fact that United have appointed him as an interim manager, stroke coach, even to the end of the season, is is beyond farcical. But he still maintains a very good reputation, I think, as a technical director. The two things is, the two things are different and he can work differently. And frankly, also, look I think if you from. speak to people that champion the sporting director model and they will still say that Raniak had a good rep has a good reputation in Germany and can do it but i i what what is certain is that basically he, him working as an interim manager hasn't helped his standing in that and probably hasn't helped you know his future in that role it's he's now detracted from his influence i think as as to be taken seriously as a you know as a future uh, consultant i mean they got him from a local I'm not being funny I'm not being funny, you know, I'm being devil's advocate, you know, a little bit. You know, his, his results haven't been, haven't been, I've been decent, you know. I mean, I've been really decent. And mm. what happens if, you know, United are as likely as anyone to get that fourth position? What happens if they do that? What happens if they have, you know, a good run in the FA Cup? What happens if, 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 they, if they do well in Europe? I mean, the impression I get is that he's going to want to stay on. I mean, now, you know, I, I've seen, the, 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 you can play this out that, you know, once you're in that position that he's in now, then I think he'll want to keep it. I really do. I think the idea that, he, he, you know, he's already signed up to go upstairs. Yes, maybe. But I think he'll want to keep it if they do okay. Then I think he'll lay his hat down. And then, and then how how do you how do you marry that with getting, you know, one of your so-called elite coaches in? Uh, I presume you're talking about the likes of Pochettino, the elite coaches who've, who've won nothing. Um, that type of a league coach, and then how do they come in and then work with a guy who's got such strong views on on, on what should happen? Surely then they will be at odds. I, I don't get quite how it's going to work out. Well, no, perhaps no. perhaps Ronaldo was a blessing then, because last night when um, uh, when United's third goal went in, uh, and bear in mind all the problems that Marcus Rashford's had and all the speculation over his form, mm. how long overdue he was a goal. Hmm. Uh, and that should have been celebrated by the manager. The manager was busy chatting to Cristiano Ronaldo still, having a quiet word in his ear. And if United want to explain to Ralph Ranić why he's not a frontline manager, that's the video they show. And they say, no, we want you behind the scenes, tidying up all the messes, just smoothing over things, getting things, oil, oiling the, the cogs. That's your role. That's what you're good at. Hmm. Get upstairs. You know, get into the background. We'll get a proper manager in, uh, and, and you take. That's what we want you to do. Take care of all that sort of stuff, as well as you know some of the more strategic stuff as well. Get involved in that. But he's that was a sign that he wasn't a frontline manager. That's the job of the number two. That's the job of the technical director is to keep people happy, to keep make sure people are happy and behind the scenes. Uh, and if you want an instance of how he's not a frontline manager, that was it. That that sign of them cutting to the dead bench. And he's still chatting to Ronaldo 10 minutes after he'd taken him off. Well, I'll tell you what, we've got some interesting comments here from uh, from uh, listeners and viewers here. This is one that you won't hear very often. Brunwyn um, says, Matt Dunn, you're right, sir. 
That's remarkable. That's a get up on screen. <laughs> Welcome to the show. Matt Dunn will have you back. But I think Richard Jack actually makes a point here that a lot of United fans, I feel, will, will probably feel as well, which is fair, fair enough. enough. I'm glad CR7 got annoyed. Shows he's still passionate. And which is a fair, you know, which is the old... Which is the old adage, or obviously, or the old uh, line trotted out by managers after uh, after a training ground bust up, and it still shows they care. But um, yeah, uh, you know, I, I, yeah, I, I just think United at the moment just don't look a team with a with a, with a plan, with a team, with a, you know, with a squad, with a pattern, with a style. It's mad. And all this, all this, this whole scenario, you know, United is sixth, seventh in the table. Is made even worse or highlighted even more by the fact that look at City, look at what a well-run club they are. You know, they get signings over the line, they sign the right players, um, they have the right manager, and look, look, look what happens. You know, it's not rocket science. Get the right manager, run the club properly, and you'll be you'll be successful. Yeah, yeah. just just find me on this. I, I, I know what you, what you lads are saying, but I'll tell you what, I'll I'll have a small wager with any of you that Ralph will be. The manager of Manchester United next season. Wow! Because if on, that man, happens, Andy, that, I, think uh, uh, I think that's seriously bad news. I think that's seriously bad news. Fifty. Listen, it's a, it's a, it's a I'll probably get good odds for it at the bookmakers, but I'll have a, I'll have a, a friendly uh, a friendly wager, friendly pints with anyone. The Ralph I'll, I'll, I'll take that bet, Donny. Who are you going to go for as permanent? Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll take a drink off you for that as well, Andy. No, no, no problem. It wouldn't. It wouldn't, wouldn't be the first drink. You've, it wouldn't be the first drink you've taken off me, by the way. <laughs> Not that after the bar. I think I put one more back once. I think. <laughs> what it is is that basically when you finished, Matt's onto his Matt's onto his third. But no, no, we won't get into that. But um, anyway, uh, right. yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, fair enough. Fair enough. I'm not sure we can, you know, advocate gambling on this show. So, uh, yeah, if you want to, a friendly do a private wager, wager, that's fine. But I think, I think Andy, you'll be, you'll no, be paying. No, not unless we're, not unless we're betting on yellow cards and stuff. Oh, now, now, steady, steady. Let's not go there. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, anyway, um, let's move on. And Andy, I'll come to you next if I may. Did mm. you at the game? I mean, Tottenham. Wow, what an incredible finish! And I have to say, if that's you know, if ever you needed a turnaround and a victory in the mould of their manager, surely that's it. What an incredible story! To just talk us through it. I mean, wow. It, it was it was fantastic. You, you know what? I mean, I love going to Leicester. I mean, I love yeah. going to the King Power. I, I, mean, I don't know why, but just invariably you get. A great game, you get an exciting game, you get a good atmosphere. Um, it's obviously nice working conditions for us, don't forget as well, which is brilliant. And it's just you just get, I don't know, just a great feel about the whole place. You know, Leicester gonna play good football, mainly on the counter-attack, it has to be said. And you know, you are just always in for a treat. And last night was just brilliant. It was it was a brilliant game. It's the best, ironically, considering they were, you know, 80 seconds away from losing the game. It's the best I've seen Spurs under Antonio Conte. The most fluent, the most attack-minded, um, the most incisive, ironically, without without actually putting the finishing touches to it. For those of you who are into the XG stats, I think it was one of the highest XG stats for um, an away team in the Premier League since since they started started doing them. 
Oh, um, my time has been full of it this morning, Andy. Don't worry about that. Are, are you fully up to speed with the XG phenomenon oh, yes. last night? Oh, yes. It's I every was other well week, mate. In that last minute, that's all I can think about when Bergen scored twice. <laughs> oh, hang on a minute. But what were the XG stats? I better make sure I get them in high up in the report. Um, but no, it, it, and that was as good as I've seen Spurs. There were so many strands tonight, so many good stories. Gareth Southgate was there. James Madison performed brilliantly. Looked like he scored the winner. Was just you know I mean he he's a player with a purpose this season he's playing with a smile on his face that was great a great strands that story small little strands like James Justin coming back again Gareth Southgate was there would have been delighted to see that coming back after best part of a year I think out with that with that with that crucial ligament injury and it was just great and then there was Southgate looking at Harry Kane and that is as close as I've seen Kane back to his vintage best you know he had a left footer shocked unbelievably cleared off the line by Luke Thomas. He had a brilliant header against the crossbar, scored a fantastic goal, missed the sitter, set up, um, assisted the, the winning goal in the 97th minute. He had it all. But what was significant, I think, for Spurs is, is that, you know, they look like a team. Listen, you can't... The night belonged to Stephen Bergwijn for, for the two goals. Mm. But it was sort of... It felt symbolic of sort of the, the team buying into Antonio Conte. Listen, you know... When you win a game with two goals in the 95th and 97th minutes, you know, you've, you've had a little bit of fortune. You know, it, it's, it's a little bit unlikely. However, the way, for example, when the first, when the equalizer went in, the second equalizer of, of, of the of the night um, to make it 2-2, you know, both the scorer and Kane were, were trying to prize the ball away from Kasper Schmeichel because they wanted, they wanted a, a crack at a winner in, you know, the dying seconds, which they got. And then it just felt like then, after obviously all the players went over to the crowd, Hugo had reached around the length of the pitch, Harry Kane was hugging punters, like, you know, and across when Conte. It just seemed like a night when, for all what we've been, and we, we spoke about it, we've been speaking about it, Matt in particular, I think, spoke, spoke about it last week, about this idea that Conte was putting out rather dispiriting, you know, quotes, dispiriting signals, about the state of Spurs, it felt completely the opposite last night. You know, 15 minutes after the game, when the fans were still in there singing Antonio and he was still saluting the crowd, Kane was giving it the, you know, the, the, the fist pumping. It didn't feel like that then. It felt like, to be quite frank, simply, it felt like sort of liftoff for the Antonio Conte regime. And then when you look at the table physically, you know, fourth spot, is, you know, they, they are, I mean, listen, again, without encouraging people to gamble, you know, if I was going to have a, a bet on on who might finish fourth, then at the moment, Spurs would probably be my favourite team to do that, judging on what they did last night. Now, bear in mind, it was Leicester, and they are a little bit vulnerable at the moment. You know, and, and Harry Kane, I think if he scores again against Cashbush Michael, he, he gets to keep him and put him on the mantelpiece, doesn't he? I mean, I think that's something like 16 against Schmeichel in his career, 18 in all against Leicester. It's remarkable. But looking at the way Kane was at his best last night, I thought the system worked well. I thought Reguilon was was outstanding. Um, Skip and Wings, you, you know, I think did well. Um, and obviously the substitute that came on, Bergwijn, who, of course, a lot of us thought might be going in this transfer window, gave him a good option. So it just felt like the... It, it just felt like a belated, proper kickstart to the Conte regime, and they will take that going into the weekend with as a huge lift into a big game. What about your match report? Come on, talk us through it. Oh, 
routine, mate. <laughs> it was like, you know, I can see it coming. Now, it's funny, the match report, you know, it, from when Kane equalised it, it sort of goes from Kane sort of getting back to his vintage best in front of Southgate. Then Madison scores. It gets to, like, you know, Madison proving a point to Southgate, who sent him back in that time from the squad, and, and he ends up in the casino. And then, of course, it, it goes then to, you know, just, just those, those last 90 seconds. I mean, and... The thing is, if you can't write that, it's unfolded in your eyes. I mean, the moment you just look and the moment you see when, when the winner goes in and you see Larice, you know, run, I mean, bear, run from his goal to the far corner where the Spurs fans are and just bury himself in the celebrations, then, you know, it, it, it's not it's not that hard to write because it's it, it's just, you know, brilliant pandemonium. Just and, and it just gives you a lift. It was just it was it was a good night. It was, it was a good night. As an advert for the Premier League as well. Yeah, I suppose it was a seven thirty kickoff. I'm just driving at the deadline. It, was, it wasn't seven thirty. It's the gift. It's an absolute uh, gift. Absolutely. If I was Graham Thorpe and the Bellato, I probably would have lit up a cigar. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I hope someone takes it. Um, um, yeah, but I mean, Matt, you, you know, I've got to say, I do, I have fancied Spurs for a while, despite Conte's dissatisfaction, despite their, mm. you know, rather lame showing against Chelsea. I've said it, you know, go back and check it, you know, and because just because of the genius of Antonio Conte. I mean, this is this what is, you know, I get all the reasoning and the arguments behind Man United going for Ranier over the likes of Conte. Understand that, get that. They want a sort of a kind of a long, long build. They want a long manager to build a legacy. They don't want histrionics there for two years or whatever. But Conte's a genius, isn't he? I mean, Conte is an absolute genius. Yes, the squad's adrift from the top three, but if someone can get him in the top four, it's him, isn't it? Yeah, well, he's got that kind of charisma. That's why I was so surprised by his mind the gap speech. It was, mm. uh, you know, they've got good enough players still to finish fourth, given that United, with all their resources, seem to not be in the running, you know, particularly. Um, uh, and, yeah, he's got that something, I mean, uh, another stat beyond actually, because I understand what this means, because um, it's, it's something that terrifies me, but distance run. You look at the stats for Spurs before Conte and after, <laughs> they are literally, uh, that they went from something like 100k in a match collectively to 115k. Which, if you do the sums, is is literally to within a few decimal places going the extra mile for the manager, and he's got that. He has something that makes players want to run extra. You know, we'll do the work. We'll we'll put the effort in. We'll keep chasing the game in the ninety seventh minute, uh, and that's what that's Conte's brilliance. What what terrifies me about Ranić is the defending. Uh, I made the point last night. They're so fixed on zonal marking, United, that they they seem to be, be like a bar, uh, you know, a table football team, just flailing around wherever they're supposed to stand. They they've got the wrong idea. They're just doing it by numbers. Spurs players, when they go for it, really seem to buy into whatever Conte's selling, uh, and that's what he built his success on at Chelsea, uh, and uh, and we saw that happen then. And it's the same thing. It's the same magic that Mourinho had when he first arrived in the Premier League. Some manager Klopp, some managers have that, uh, and Conte is one of them. Uh, and Spurs will hope will be looking hopefully to keep him there longer than the two years because I think. Again, it's another project that needs to be built, but one that Conte can do uh, and yeah. get them back challenging again. 
It definitely won't last beyond two years. hundred percent. One hell of a ride. I love Conte. I love him so much. I think he's great. I think he's fantastic. I think he's brilliant for the Premier League. I think he's truly one of the great managers, you know, of his generation. And yeah, it's, it, you know, but one thing is for sure. It doesn't last long. He's very combative. He's very argumentative. But, and speaking of which, next up, Thomas Tuchel. Because I've got to say, the Chelsea manager, well, I mean, you know, the guy again, the guy's clearly a genius. But is he a flawed genius, Jeremy? That is the question. Because it's one win in seven in the Premier League. And it's no wins from four, which is his worst run as a Chelsea manager. And yet we are talking about the reigning European champions who then added the Super Cup to that are in the Carabao Cup final, that which will be his fourth cup final in 12 months, um, or reaching anyway. And, I mean, there doesn't seem dissatisfaction from the fans, even though they're 12 points behind, despite having played a game more. Where do you, where do you see Thomas Tuchel right now? Well, I don't think for one minute that his, his position is under question. I mean, like you no. said, he, you know, he won the Champions League within six months of taking over. Which was an act of genius, really. Got the totally outplayed Pep Guardiola in the um, in the final in Portugal. Look, they're having a bad run. They've played seven games in three weeks, and you know, I don't care how big your squad is and how good your squad is. That that's going to have an impact, isn't it? You know, you can't deny that. And like any other squad, they're suffering with issues with COVID and things like that. So, what does the point? I mean, I was at the Man City game last weekend with Andy, and what really disappointed me were Chelsea was. How, um, because obviously it was a game they had to win to try and stay in the title race. Um, how unambitious they were in the first half, they didn't have a shot on goal, either off target or on target. And I get you go to City and it's going to be tough, you're going to probably not have as much possession and you're probably going to be dominated by that team, but they just looked lackluster. And I mean, I know he said they were tired in midweek and they probably are tired. You know, I know it's a well-worn excuse, but they did look jaded last weekend against um, City. They were completely dominated. And um, But look, there's no need to panic. I mean, you've got to also accept that City are an exceptionally good team. I mean, you know, however good Tuchel thinks he is, and however good he thinks his team are or should be, even he's got to hold his hands up and say, this City team is a once-in-a-generation team when you look at what they're achieving. You know, and, you know, if, if, if they weren't, around, Chelsea would probably be in with a shadow winning the title this season, but sadly for him, they are, and Pep Guardiola's you know, doing his thing, so I don't think there's any need to panic, I mean, you know, I think Chelsea will finish in top four, they might win a trophy I think we'll go deep in the Champions League what's not to like? Yeah, no, I, I, I do agree with that Andy, what's what's loud and clear to me is that Lukaku is still not working, is it? I mean, you know, not scoring, not playing well you know, he was really quite cutting, I think, in his post immediate post-match remarks after Saturday's defeat at City. Mm. He got quite... He really wasn't going to entertain another question after Brighton on, on Lukaku. It's not working, is it? I mean, that's a problem you've got to solve, though, isn't it? It's not. Obviously, he's had um, injury issues. Um, and and it, it's not working at the moment. And, and, again, just going back to that City game, I think what I think why maybe Tuchel was... 
um, in no mood to offer any excuses for Lukaku, i.e. a lack of service, as Jeremy alluded to. I think why he was in no mood to offer excuses is one or two moments that, that he blew, basically. And in particular, I think probably not, if you remember the, the chance he had in the early stage of the second half. It's when he went through, wasn't it? When he went through. And, you know, to be fair, it was it, it, it was a decent enough save from Edison. I think probably what he would have been more annoyed with, um, Thomas Tuchel, was in the first half, Lukaku went past John Stones, who slipped, and then he, he had he had options. You know, he, the option was to go himself. The option was to was to play it to his left to I think it was Alonso. Alonso who was galloping free. Or instead he took an option, which wasn't really an option, which was to play it to his right to a player, I think it was was it Zayek? Zayek, yeah. Um who it was clearly offside. I mean, clearly offside, and he took that option, and it was so, it was so bad a decision by um, Lukaku. And I think that that stayed with Tuchel, and he referred to that. He referred to Tuchel that, you know, they had, in modern coaching speak, speak, they had, you know, opportunities in transition, i.e., not actually chance in front of goal, but chances to get in front of goal on the break, and that was, and that was a glaring, yeah, a break basically. <laughs> Um, and that was a glaring one that was blown by Lukaku. And, you know, the modern striker has to make better decisions than, than Lukaku made. It's as simple as that. You know, and with every game that Lukaku has like that, you know, it only adds another sort of shred of evidence to those people. Uh, and I'm not in this camp, by the way, but there are, there are a number of people in it, you, you know, have him down as some sort of, you know, flat track operator. Um, and when it comes to the big games, he doesn't produce. I think there is a lot of work to do, but then that, that applies across the whole Chelsea attack, doesn't it? Mm. That applies to Lukaku, that applies to Timo Werner, that applies to Havertz and, and Zayech and, 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 and other forward-thinking players. That's the issues he's got at the moment, as well as, you know, the, the ones you just t- touched on, which might be, which might actually be a, a, bit, of, a bit of fatigue. Yeah, yeah. The um, issue is, Crossy, when you've just won the Champions League in the summer... And then Abramovich shells out 90 million quid for Lukaku, who's regarded as one of the best strikers in the world. Abramovich is expecting that to be... That's the that's the push on to say, well, mm. this will win us the title next season. Mm. And they're like 12, the 12 points behind and played a game more. It's just over. They're not, they're not, they are not. can forget the title. It's gone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That builds Matt, what, what, you, you and I were both at Brighton Tuesday. Mm. What really was striking was that, I mean, Tuchel, I have to say, I, I love, you know, Tuchel. I do think he's a... He's a, he's a Totally different character to to the one that I thought w- was we were going to get at, at Chelsea. Mm. And, and 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 before people jump in, yes, I have covered him a lot before because basically I've seen his mardiness and his moodiness, mm. um, particularly in kind of the meltdown stage at <laughs> both, both Dortmund and then PSG. I remember two once from PSG, particularly. Um, wow, you know, and he was clearly you know gone from that those kind of uh, jovial days when it all seemed so happy and wonderful, basically, in his cracking jokes and being the great entertainer on, on, on the Zoom calls. He was not a happy bunny, was he? Yeah, I mean, tell us about that. I mean, it wasn't, it really wasn't, it wasn't great, was it, from a manager, you know, post-match? No, not, not particularly. It's, it's generally, he doesn't, he has a very dry humour, mm. which works when things are going well because he tends to sort of downplay stuff and, and be self-deprecating. But when the criticism's against him, you know, he's not happy at all. And 
yeah, we, we saw some of that. And you wonder how that translates into the dressing room mm-hmm. in the same way that I spoke earlier about, you know, Conte being someone that, that enlivens you and, and perhaps drags you along and, and the old Mourinho clock thing. I don't see that from Tuchel at all. I, I think when you're in, you know, I don't, he kind of reminds me of a kind of an AVB kind of character, someone who might be brilliant tactically or may not, depending on AVB, your view on AVB, has a clipboard but works it all out. But the only way he impresses the players that play for him is by his brilliance. And when that's not being backed up by results, he hasn't got the charisma to dig deep necessarily and say, no, come on, go out there, run through another brick wall. We can do this. You know, so what if we're 2-1 two, two, down in the 95th minute? He doesn't have that kind of charisma about him. You know, he's not the presence that Klopp is. He's not got, I don't know, the steediness, the 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 attitude of a Conte. And I think this is why Chelsea, uh, and why basically when things have started going bad at his previous clubs, they've never sort of recovered. Um, he's not that kind of manager. He was brilliant for a, 11 months, uh, and now we're meeting the first dip, and, and this is always what he seems to run into. Um, yeah, it's a worrying time for Chelsea because they do now need to, to go on again. Uh, and Guardiola set the bar so high with, with the number of points you need now need to get to win a title that, that these are the games that the Brighton game are the ones that Chelsea need to be winning to be contenders. And that's what Lukaku was signed for. Uh, and the whole thing just doesn't seem to be to be working. Mm, yeah, Jesse, let's let's move on to Arsenal Liverpool tonight. And you know, there's been so much talk about postponements. And, you know, yeah. <laughs> both both it feels like the postponement derby, frankly. Um, you know, because Arsenal have had one off, Liverpool have had one off, and basically. Yesterday, the Premier League, various I have to say, various people sort of wrote Monday morning basically that, that the rules wouldn't be changed. And I have to say, the anger that I, you know, that I'd heard from from clubs on on Sunday about various postponements, needless, you know, meaning uh, totally uh, meaning Arsenal really. I guess it was the straw that broke the camel's back was that they were really going to push it. So I think from a position when where the Premier League were trying to dig in and justify the decision. Now they've been forced to change, haven't haven't they, really? Well, how do you see it? I mean, you know, do you blame Arsenal for, for making the application if others have done so? Do you, you know, do, do you think that's right? Um, where do you stand on it? Well, it's a tricky one because, you know, we're heading into the realms of suggesting that some clubs may be bending the rules, basically, and exploiting the rules uh, that are in place to, to to benefit them. Do I think Arsenal should have done it? Well, look, if, if they've got players out for whatever reason, well, there's three reasons. There's the Af- African Cup of Nations, there's injuries and there's COVID. Mm. If they've got a depleted squad, then I don't blame them for getting the game postponed. But that doesn't mean to say I think it's the right thing to do. Mm. And Mikel Arteta was very sort of vehement yesterday, wasn't he, in his defence of the club's approach and the system that done nothing wrong. And look, maybe they haven't. We don't know how many how many COVID cases they've got, do they? I mean, but... but Arteta said but, yesterday, no new cases. No right, new okay. Cases. But they've loaned two players out though, right? Uh, yeah, and they're on the point of... Well, they've... they've yeah, and they've loaned two and then Mari's going as well. 
Right, and so they can afford to loan He's joining yeah. Marseille. So the, I mean, the, I have to say, that's the bit that sticks with me, right? Because basically... They've got players, I, I, surplus I, players to loan out to the clubs, but they yeah. can't... Work Look, with I, I, don't, I really don't blame them for loaning, for, for getting the... Uh, for asking for the postponement. If others do it, why wouldn't you? Okay. Do, do I do I agree with the rules that are in place? So they've only got one COVID case in Odegaard when they asked um, that allows you then to get the postponement. No, I think the game should have been played, actually. Yeah. Um, so, but I don't blame them for asking. And they will feel very aggrieved that, that you know, the game's in August, you know. Well, what, 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 the at. issue is what started out as games being postponed because of the pandemic, it mm. now feels like it feels to most people who, who follow it that it's more about clubs seeking postponement because they can't put the best team out. Yeah. And that is wrong because this is quite simple, really. If you have a load of players with COVID, fine. You can't mm. fill the fixture. If you have players, some with COVID, some are injured, some are away on international duty, that's just tough luck. You, you know, you can't have a game called off because some, you've got some players injured. I mean, Leeds Leeds played at West Ham last weekend and they had, a, they had nine fit senior senior players and the rest were made up of kids. And they got a great result over West Ham. But they fulfilled the game. You've seen games in, in the Bundesliga, similar clubs do, doing the same thing in Bundesliga. So it can be done. But you can't... You, you know, you, you, if you sign an African player, you know that player's going to be missing for a large chunk of the of the new year when the the ofcon comes around so you know that's just your you make that call you've got to prepare to face the circumstances so look they're going to look at the they're going to they're going to use a break mini break next next week aren't they before we come back at, on the 8th of february and i would just suspect that the, the premier league will tighten it up in some way by then but they've made a rod for their own back the premier league because they've allowed games to be postponed that probably shouldn't have should, they shouldn't have done and now it's been the situation has been exploited. Mm -hmm. Yeah, how do you go along like. with that? Well, you know, you know, I, I think I think quite a few people talking about this and talking about the integrity of the league and talking about teams deliberately trying to get games called off, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. I think some people need to get a grip. You know, let, let, let's let, let, let's let's have a think about this for a minute. You know, there were. You know, 350 odd deaths from COVID yesterday, 450, whatever the other day, over 150,000 deaths from COVID. And people are getting into a bit of a tizzy because a few games have been called off. Let's get this right. Football has done well to carry on during the COVID pandemic. The Premier League has done well to carry on. A few games are called off, postponed. Well, you know, get them played whenever. It's I understand there are anomalies. I understand that once one team, once one called off, then another one might... You, you know, say, well, watch, we can't feel the team. Why should we feel the team when, you know, XXX and on and on and on it goes. Last night's game, Brentford versus Man United. Man United got that first game called off mm. only three days after they'd played um, a full squad away at um, Norwich. Norwich. Yeah. So you go on and on, but I would prefer this stage because let's face it, the horse is bolted anyway. You, you know, once, once they've gone through and, and created the new rules by the time, Premier League clubs are playing again after the, the winter break. Um, after this weekend, the next Premier League game isn't until February the 8th, 9th, is it? That midweek, um, after after the winter break, then all teams, you touch wood, you know, the worst of the Omicron will have gone and they'll be able to play anyway. I do think that people are getting overwrought about a situation where you've had... I mean, how many games have been postponed in all? 16, 17? 
22 one of them <laughs> I, 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 is, is that one of them was may, maybe fair if that includes one that was postponed because of the, the frozen pitch but it doesn't really I think in the grand scheme of things I think football has done remarkably well mm. show going yeah and I think to get yeah to get, yeah, yeah, yeah. To get happy about a few games being called off is is, is I think a little bit over the top yeah, listen, I do, I do agree with the overall sentiment, and I do, uh, you know, I think the the anomalies though are there that basically, you know, Arsenal, I think basically, you know, divided opinion. It was no easy solution, but when you then loan out Mari on on Monday, uh, get rid of Kalazanac on Tuesday, I don't really think you're going to get a lot of sympathy from from the other clubs. And I have yeah. to say, you know, the argument old, you know, from from Arsenal, which was, well, we still have to go on as a going concern. Yeah you know, and develop those players or kind of, you know, shake up our squad is their concern. But then I don't think that they could then expect to then say, oh, we haven't got enough players to fulfil this fixture, having loaned two extra out. I just don't get where people might be coming from on that. Well, Andy, the rules as such on postponements were brought in September 2020. Yeah. And now I think to change them, stroke tweak them midway through the season, is an absolute is a farce in itself. I think you have to stick with them and apply them more evenly and be more open about it. I mean, you know, look, you look, at, look, be, at Ars- just, look at Arsenal's. You know, Arsenal's fan base were going mad about Liverpool getting the the, the original yes. semi final postponed. Um, and and this is, is you know casting aspersions on Liverpool, which I think is massively unfair, bearing in mind the troubles that they've had at the club, and then Klopp losing a parent to this, to the virus. I mean, it's so exactly. out of order. And then exactly. completely, completely revise their 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 you know their take on it a couple of weeks later when when they want a game off. I mean, you know those sort of inconsistencies. And not seeing the bigger picture because ultimately, what is being a fan? A fan is all about being a fan of that club. You're not seeing the bigger picture. You're completely biased towards your own club. You don't see it. But I just exactly. think you know people need to have a. You, you. I agree totally with your overall sentiment. People need to kind of take Get a, a reality check on. Get this a grip, and and, and the, the fact of the matter is, you know, you go round and round in circles on. On who wants to what called off and why they wanted it mm. called off. Liverpool get that game called off. United get this game called off. Blah 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 blah. I mean, you've got to actually at one point. Don't forget, you know, it's not the Premier League as such. That the people who work at the Premier League office in London. It, 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 it's the twenty clubs who've, who've agreed these rules. So each club mm, don't necessarily agree with that. But there you go. So, but and, and anyway, yeah. whatever. Well, they've agreed to the rules. They have to agree to the rules. So yeah, so but what, it's the Premier League that present the rules, isn't it? Yeah. And they well, okay, well, they agree to it. You know, they, they, I mean, it's a simple format, John, as you well know. It's 20 clubs and they're going yeah, to I know, I know. But I often see people saying about that. But that's not a but, dynamic, really. Anyway, the, really point, the point, the yeah, point of the matter is, is, is that getting games called off because, you know, and people say, oh, well, they're trying to get games called off because they've got injuries, because they've got players at AFCON, because Granit Jack is suspended or whoever. It doesn't really matter. The point, of, the, the, the point is, is that COVID affects things and it doesn't just you know if you get down to the stage where you're saying basically all the all the counts is whether you've got a red line on that covid test that is the only thing that counts then you're missing the point covid affects the covid pandemic has affected things in so many ways arsenal's argument would be they've played many fixtures when maybe they could have had them cancelled you know they've had players back to work when they should have been back to work because they need to fulfill fixtures that increases the risk of injury etc etc there are spin-offs from covid 
that aren't just about, well, here's a test certificate. We've got five of these. We're not playing. That's clearly not not, not what happens. You know, there, there are arguments that, 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 you know, players can't, can't maybe train properly after COVID, et cetera, et cetera. You've just got to accept that this is an unprecedented situation. It remains an unprecedented situation. Just because we've got used to it doesn't mean that, that, that that's not the case. And in that situation, games are, are, are likely to be postponed. And if it is, you know, 22, then to me, I, I would that is relatively few games in the whole scheme of things. And there are there's plenty of time for them to be rescheduled. Let's, let's not let, let's not forget that there is time for them to to be rescheduled. Yeah. No, in fairness to Dunny, is it because he's an Evertonian? He has got bigger things to worry about than postponed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And speaking of which. And speaking of which, let's move on to that. Love it. was a beautiful, beautiful partridge segue there. Seamless. Um, but um, Matt. It's almost like we planned it. Yeah, absolutely. Matt, Rafa, was it ever going to work? What an absolute disaster. No, I don't think so, because I'm not a big fan of Rafa anyway. Um, although that said, I think he's got perhaps one more job left in him, having yeah. done for Everton. I think I think this summer gets himself appointed as Manchester United's manager, puts the final nail in that coffin, and then becomes the greatest ever Liverpool manager of all time. Um, on by dint of what he's done at Anfield, uh, and then uh, turning over Everton and United, I don't think it's better than that. That famous stand after him. Um, no, it wasn't going to work. It there, there was people were against him just because of that allegiance across the other side of the um, Stanley Park. Um, and, I, and I don't think he's the someone to breathe energy into a club that is what Everton wants to be. They want to be an exciting project. They want to be dynamic. Um, they want to be a new noise on Merseyside. Uh, and that's not Benitez at all. It, it was doomed to failure. You know, he was going to get them organised. He's a manager you get in to... to steady the ship and what have you but but Everton are looking to move forward uh, and uh yeah it's no surprise it's ended badly uh, and like um, and in all seriousness Benitez has to choose his next job very carefully because he's in danger now of of you know sort of becoming a yesterday's man um uh, and uh you know unless he's has a bit more success this time then uh yeah I think part of the myth might might be busted Wow. Yeah, Everton needs someone now who's going to be dynamic and move them forward. Jezza, who is that? Uh, not Wayne Rooney, by the way. Well, who is that man, Jezza? Um, well, I think I just you know it's not a club I cover day in day out, but um, obviously they've put Ferguson in charge for, mm. for for the next game against Villa, and I think it's fair to say the players will be motivated for that game. If Big Dunk's giving the uh, address before kickoff, look, it's a mess. Um, they they are 16th in the table. You know, they are flirting with relegation. I don't think they'll go down. So I think we've got too much to, to go down. But you just don't know, do you? You know, uh, they're moving to a new stadium in a couple of years' time. The future should be really rosy, but it's not. It looks bleak. Um, it's a massive task for someone. I mean, I know Matt, Matt's just said, don't give it to Rooney. But and I get that. I mean, he's very inexperienced. I don't say that for Wayne Rooney. I don't say that for Everton. Well, I think Rooney well, fits I think, I a lot of boxes, could, really. I think, because... I think he does, but I don't think he's ready for that job. No, maybe not. But I think it I could destroy what could be a, a good managerial career. So the I issue, think the Rooney... issue Everton have is with Rooney, and I'm sure they're looking at Rooney because he, you know, he would get the fans back on side. He's got blue blood running through his veins. Blah blah blah, and a club legend. We all know that. 
And he's doing a minor miracles at, at Derby, let's be honest, given given mm. what's gone on there. But what do you want to go there and work under Mashiri? That's the issue. If you if you if you're Wayne Rooney, you look you look at the bigger picture and you think the the, the club is run so poorly when you look at the decisions that guy makes. Matt's right. Is it is it is it a no-brainer? Just you just stay where you are. I mean, I know the, the Martinez has been uh touted to come back. I don't quite see why he'd want to give up the Belgian gig to go back to Everton, really, but uh, I don't. I don't know. There's not. There's not an obvious answer to your question because the size of the task is so big. It, it sort of makes you wonder who, who is out there that, that would is good enough to, like Matt said, lead him on to. They need to appoint someone and keep them there for three or four years, long term, so they can build something substantial and have some stability. And it's a massive job. I don't. I, I can't see who a who would who would want it and b who could do it. Andy, you 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 were there with a wry smile, as Jeremy said, Wayne Rooney, Everton legend, blue blood running through his veins, and um, would he be welcome? Would he wel- be welcome back in, in that way? I mean, listen, I think if, if Wayne Rooney keeps Derby up, Wayne Rooney gets my vote, no matter what Pep does, he could sweep the board as manager of the year. What he's doing at, at Derby is remarkable. I'm not sure I agree with 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 you know the guys really that you know it's probably not a great time for him or, and you know not a great set of circumstances for him to get a big job. But you know the names that have been talked about are Rooney and Lampard, aren't they? In addition to Martinez, and we know how much you like Lampard, so you know. Yes. Um, yeah, what what Wayne Rooney? I, I heard this yesterday. Is, is what Wayne Rooney's doing one of the most remarkable jobs, you know, in recent years in management? Well, well, no, quite frankly. I mean, <laughs> no, it isn't. I mean, he's won ten games or something, has he? I mean, you know, and there's some some pretty rubbish stuff around the bottom half of the championship. No, it isn't by by any stretch of the imagination. Um, overly remarkable. He's doing a decent job at a championship team, and that's just about it. I mean, you know, and and also, you know, the, the idea. I, I get the, I get the idea outside looking in. You know, the idea of Rooney being some sort of Everton legend and blue blood running through his veins. It wasn't running that strongly through his veins when he up sticks and left um, for Manchester United and, and celebrated in front of Everton fans with Manchester United and became a Manchester United legend. Um, so I don't think there's an emotional tie between Everton fans and Rooney as people outside would like to think, you know, he'd like to be persuaded of this, like, you know, the Everton fans well, love it. They were quite pleased think, when he went back there as a player, though, Andy. Well, some of them were, some of them weren't. You, you know, I mean, I mean, it, it's pretty much simple as that. You know, some of them didn't want him back, you know, and, and you know, some of them didn't particularly want him, you know, when he's passed his best to come to come back and, and have a last couple of seasons farewell with the club he deserted as a boy. Um, so, so you know, deserted. <laughs> No, but, no, but listen. Are you having a pint of bitter later, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> They're not called bitter blues for a reason, pal. You know they are called. No, but in all in all seriousness, I, I think I think let's get away from that. Let's park that idea that there is some sort of um, inspirational, emotional pull about Rooney and Everton. It isn't that strong, you know. And, and you know, it, it's it's you know, it's probably not as strong, for example, as it would be. If Duncan Ferguson, you know, was to be, you know, in line for the permanent job, you know, I think probably more Evertonians would 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 maybe you know look at that as 
as um, as perhaps a better option. I, I just think on, on the football side of it, for what Rooney's done so far, as you know, as much hyped as what he's doing at Derby has been, I don't think really he's got the credentials for it. It, it is a tough tough job, you know, in, in, in the way that the club is in, in a little bit of disarray in terms of recruitment gone wrong. But it's a good job, and listen, it's going to be handsomely paid, and it's a big, big club with big ideas of where it's going to move to. In that sense, I would generally go for someone who's more established. It's a very boring choice, and he said he's happy where he, where he is, but Graham Potter would be my first choice. You know, I think... I don't I think, think he'd you know, take it. No, maybe, maybe not. I, I, I think there's time. I think, I think, I think the season is almost a terrible thing to say. You know, when we're barely halfway through January, but you know, I think the season is is becoming a bit of a write-off for Everton. Mm. Um, I think whoever takes over as caretaker, that's Duncan now at the moment. You know, I, I think you know they, they will stay up. I think they've got time to approach someone like Potter. They've got till the until the end of the season. You don't know what Brighton are going to do until then. And without being patronising, the bottom line is, is that you know Everton is a bigger club. You know it, it's a big job, and and whoever does manage to get Everton back on the up, you know, um, would be doing his reputation a great, great service. So I do think that you know I, I understand you don't think it's taken, but Everton is you know a grand old a grand old club, and I think it would be tempting. And Mashiri could tempt him in a material way. Let's let's not forget. You know we keep thinking about who who'll take and who won't. Let's let's not forget it's big big money he's going to be offering big big money you, you know now I don't know what Potter earns at Brighton but I do know he wouldn't be earning the type of money Mashiri would be able to throw at him and we're talking you know I mean we, we could be talking we could be eight nine ten million pounds a year you know it's gonna be way 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 more than Brighton could ever pay him so I think he would the likes of him would be top of, top of 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 my list a very practical appointment again like the guys are saying. Someone who you think is going to be there for the three or four years. That's why I said at the time, all that time ago when they appointed Benitez, that it was the wrong appointment, not just because of the Liverpool connection, because he was a bit of a busted fuss, but because Everton, moving into a new stadium in three years' time, this brave new era, a lot of investments need a manager who sees it as a long-term project, who sees it as the pinnacle of his managerial career. That's why at the time I would have gone for Eddie Howe. I think, you know what, you know... (laughs) I may be proved wrong on that by what he's doing at Newcastle, but someone like that who'll go in, you'll say three or four years, and it's the pinnacle of their career, unlike for Ancelotti, unlike for Benitez. That's why someone like Potter would be top of my list. Alternatively, I mean, I'm not saying I would back this, but you know, I mean, it, again, just just the idea. I, I listened to the the idea about um, about Jose Marino. Hmm. Now, let me tell you that, that that like I suspect that the circles that um, Farhad Mashiri mingles in. I suspect that that is probably that name has come up quite a few times. I suspect, like you know, had for example Roman been beaten last Sunday night, um, I suspect we would have seen his name more strongly linked than we have now. Um, and and you know these are the pe- the type of people, the super agents who will who will influence Mashiri. And it sounds ludicrous, and you know, automatically people think, yeah, well, well, he's. But I know a lot of Evertonians who would quite like that idea. Because they were quite like the idea of he fits the club in the sense that he's big enough for the club and he's the type of guy to re- to revive this sleeping giant and to and, and, and you'll have someone crossing the swords with Klopp. But they thought that would Benitez, they thought that would Ancelotti. That would be interesting. But yeah. some, but, but, but I would go, I, I would make a serious play for Potter if I was Everton. Harry yeah, Potter. I must say, uh, Harry Potter, Potter, with Potter. Potter is that basically Potter, <laughs> I think, is surrounded by, you know, only... Um, 
only City, you know, sort of can say they have a better behind the scenes um, setup or, or comparable, if you like. Yeah. Um, just because, you know, Tony Bloom, chairman and owner, and a Paul Barber, chief executive, Dan Ashworth, director of football. I mean, the structure is there. No wonder the place was jumping Tuesday night. They're playing super football. They love the manager. The manager loves them. It's a wonderful setup. Why on earth would he leave at this point in time? For the, uh, for the car crash I'm it's Everton. Everton. I know you're part-time director of Commerce for Brighton, pal, but I mean, it's No, Everton. I love Brighton. Absolutely love Brighton. Love going there. The atmosphere, the fans, the football. Honestly. If you you know if you're a supporter of another club and you haven't gone to gone to Brighton, make sure you get an away ticket for Brighton. Yeah, I agree with that. Honestly, Andy, you know, can I just ask Andy as an Everton fan? You um, you mentioned Mourinho, and I, I get I get why he's always linked with these jobs, but <laughs> by you himself, think, you think when you look at the yeah. six managers he's been through, Mashiri, in pretty much six years. Do you think sometimes when when you look at who's been and gone, some of those managers, it feels like the, they came in and it felt like they were like almost doing Everton a favour by being there? Do you know what I mean? Like Ancelotti and Benitez, people like that. Like, the club's not big enough for me. I'm, I'm, I'm taking a quick book. They need, to, yeah. they need to look at that, don't they? Yeah. No, I, I, I agree. I, 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 I absolutely agree. I just think they... I totally agree, and I've said that all along. I said, you know, Ancelotti was, was, you know, was a nice appointment, but he was only... You know, filling in time, basically keeping himself meaningfully occupied until a big one came along, and and you know, and you know, Ronald Koeman came there and sort of was doing Everton a favour until he could get his dream job at Barcelona. Um, and Rafa Benitez was coming because you know he just, I mean, you know, he, he'd filled his pension pot in China and fancied something else. I I, I totally agree with that, and that's what I said to you. I I, I advocated at the time someone who's going to be there for the long term, someone someone who sees the project, someone who sees it as the pinnacle of their career. Now, it would be the pinnacle, it would have been the pinnacle of Eddie Howe's career. It would be the pinnacle, no matter how well Brighton is run, of Graham Potter's career. It would be the I don't job. Would, I think Graham Potter has ambitions well, higher than that. And he's yeah, I think he'll be next England manager. Just quickly going back to Jose, what you're saying, Jerry, and I, I, I agree that would be the same old. However, however, there would always be this idea that, you know, the thought that actually, well, you know what, Jose is not going to get probably if he did end up, say, in the unlikely event that he ended up at Goodison Park, he would be there for a reason. It wasn't going well at Roma. Say, for example, he he ended up there. There would be the feeling that that, that he wouldn't be going automatically to anywhere else. He's been he's, he's been in enough big 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 clubs, and that you know he would have some sort of point to prove, and then he would relish being across the park from Klopp. You know, it's a romantic, it's it's a it's a fanciful idea, but it's one I think that a couple of Evertonians thinking, you know what, I can sort of see that fitting really. Yeah, I can see that. I can see Jose buying into the Evertonian way. I can you know you can see him buying into the fans, can't you? You can see him. Mm. You, you, you can just picture him now. You know, yeah. I I can see where you're coming from because I think that Mourinho yeah. would do a similar job to Ancelotti, and yeah. and basically you know he'd get them back up a little bit as Ancelotti did you know and it's just yeah. it's just one of those and it's but no I do think you know I think Matt you're probably going to say the same when Graham Potter will be next England manager so no, I, think might well. I think he will I, be. I think he'll flourish at Brighton think, and then and then wait for I his time I think I think the more I hear about it the more Gareth Southgate talks about the how how helpful it's been having had the experience of playing at international level so I think we're looking at a next England manager as a complete aside, who's played for England. I think the FA won't lose that knowledge base. 
I think Graham Potter has the capabilities apart from that track record. If Graham Potter were 10 years older, he might be tempted by a financial benefit of going to Everton. But I think he feels that there are bigger things out there for him and he doesn't want to destroy his career path by taking a move to a club where he can't perform as he would like to because of the uh, circumstances at the club. Uh, which is why I don't think you're there. Graham Potter, if they can't tempt someone like Steven Gerrard um, into being the next England manager, then I think he'd be a good fullback position. But I think he only gets it as a second choice. Oh, come on. You can't um, ignore Super Frank, surely. Uh, I didn't even want to mention him just to give Andy a, something to well, jump. When he wins the, when he wins the title, give me a with, half uh, Everton, Andy, we'll, 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 we'll visit this, uh, I, I, this conversation. I think Wayne Rooney, why not? Depends yeah. how long Southgate stays for. But I, I think they'll be looking for a former England player to um, to, to manage England uh, mm. as, as the ideal choice. But Graham Potter ticks all the other things, the whole St George's ethos, everything else, uh, and, and he's you know deeply impressive with the right setup uh, and could carry on. I mean, he's even grown the beard to try and c- copy Gareth Southgate. So uh, you know, it's um, you know. He's a fantastic manager, uh, and that's why I don't think he'll he'll risk his career by going to Everton. Oof, dear, dear. Right, I'm going to fly through a little bit because it's, we've got some transfer business here, and then I'm going to do an and finally. So it says here Arsenal and Vlahovic um, from from Fiorentina. I think it's now or never in January for them. They're because um, if they're, they're trying to do it now, otherwise they'll miss out in the summer. I think, um, and they're trying to sign Arthur Mello. Um, Mirror reporting here. It says uh, Ronaldo set for showdown talks with chief exec to stay beyond this season. That that that'll be that'll be interesting. But also Newcastle. Come on, people are seeing them coming, aren't they? I mean that that is you know that's that's the one, isn't it? I mean, surely. Um, do, do you think, guys? Just very briefly, really, Newcastle will finish up at the end of this window in better or worse shape? to stay up, i.e. will their business be good or bad in this window? I think they'll be in better shape in terms of how many more players they have. You know, I mean, look, I didn't think Chris Wood was a great signing, but nevertheless, it, it will, it will, he's, they've got a new, new striker in. Mm. I think Trippier will be a good signing, you know, however long it lasts. We all know he's a great player. And they've been linked with Jesse Lingard. The issue is, I mean, I think Lingard would be a great signing, as would, say, somebody like Ross Barkley, who's not getting a game at Chelsea. These are probably the players they need to look at short term. They need to sign players to keep them up. That's essentially the, the, how dire the situation is now. They need, to, they need to stay up. And if that means signing someone on big money between now and the end of the season, so be it. The issue is going to be, would, would a Lingard or a Ross Barkley want to go to Newcastle for that scrap? I mean, when we've probably got options to go elsewhere. That's the issue. Yeah. And when he comes to signing permanent players, obviously they're going to get ripped off because they are, as we know, the richest club in the world. So why wouldn't agents try and milk it? Yeah, 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 absolutely. Right, I'm going to do it and finally now. Um, uh, uh, what is the best or the biggest transfer that you thought would happen but didn't in years gone by? Now, our wonderful producer on this show, Connor's Sunderland fan, I'm sure he won't mind me saying that, Saying that basically Toby Alderweireld having a medical up there before he went to Southampton, basically Southampton, uh, Sunderland didn't want to pay his wages from Atletico. I did an interview with Roberto Carlos recently, in which he 
which he uh, revealed that he, he Birmingham came in to sign him and basically oh, really? was, yeah that was quite a close one so yeah some quirky one <laughs> Birmingham City can you imagine um what a story that would have been so guys let's go around the room Matt let's start with you well I mean who cares what what transfers I thought would happen Let, let's talk about the transfer that Blackburn manager Steve Keane was convinced was going to happen <laughs> um back in 2011 Venkis with a new thing in uh in the Premier League football um, they'd uh, failed in their bid to sign David. They were determined to make a marquee signing. Uh, they'd failed in their bid to, to bring David Beckham in on loan. Um, and then they convinced Steve Keane, the, uh, the manager at the time, um, that, uh, that Ronaldinho was, was, was heading to Ewa Park. Um, and then there was a press conference. He was coming to the end of his career. There was a press conference uh, at the training ground where they always have the telly on silently uh, with Sky Sports News on and running in the background. And uh, we were just enjoying the fact that we could write some cheap gags about Blackburn signing you know, one of the world's greatest players. Um, and uh, in the background all the time, he was being shown on Sky Pictures uh, arriving in Brazil and um, being mobbed by hundreds of thousands of fans for his big homecoming. Um, and Steve Keane was convinced, had been convinced by the owners, I think, that he was on his way to Blackburn and was telling us for the, for the uh, written editions that he wanted to meet him face to face and because Ronaldinho had to convince him that he wanted to play for Blackburn before he would sign him. Uh, and, and almost as if, Blackburn held all the strings in this signing, and this, and uh, and yeah, and all the time he was telling us this, he was being mobbed by hundreds thousand. And funny enough, he signed for Flamenco uh, just a few days later. But yeah, that that was one of the greatest transfer windows ever. Is is when Venkis first arrived at Blackburn, and yeah, Venkis, wow, brilliant, brilliant. Hey, How much do you want it, Ronnie? How much? Yeah, how much? He was Love it. He's ready Dunning. to do it, and he were part on a on a cold Tuesday night. Yeah, Dunning, you got to say those Venkis were good value, weren't they, for entertainment? Oh, uh, well, remember the story about Steve Agnew getting sent all the way to India to some remote back and beyond place in India to pick up when he got there. The, they gave him a cat in a cage and said, take this cat back to see a vet in England. It's poorly. So they yeah, flew well, out there to pick up a cat. Wow, yeah. love it. Love yeah. it. Jezza, Jezza, your story, please. Um, well, the one, I, I mean, the, the one that always makes me chuckle, which, which I was involved in covering at the time, was back in 2015 when um, Real Madrid tried to sign David, David De Gea. And De Gea was really keen to go, you know, back to Madrid. Obviously, Real Madrid, dream move, blah, blah, blah. The deal was pretty much done until it basically collapsed at the 11th hour um, because some documents didn't reach Madrid uh, in time. And it, it sparked this huge row between both clubs. United said that Madrid didn't have a, the, the right fax machine. I mean, a fax machine? It's only 2015. Who deals in faxes these days? And um, Madrid actually went ballistic when they saw the United putting the blame on them and released this 10 point bullet, 10 bullet points on this statement, just absolutely lacing Man United and saying, it's your to blame. And De Gea was obviously caught in the crossfire. And it was an amazing story at the time involving basically probably the two, the two biggest clubs in the world. It was very amusing and very unedifying for both of them. Fantastic. Andy? 
<clears throat> I tell you what, what, what's worth what's worth saying about when you mentioned the the Venkies and and, and the, the somewhat laughable sagas after they'd taken over. They, they, I mean, no one mentions that they seem to be doing quite a good job, don't they? I was going to say I was going to add to that to Jeremy that they made a lot. They arrived and said we're not going to make any major changes and got rid of one of the world's uh, one of the game's big great administrators in um, John Williams yeah. and one of the best managers to keep a team in the Premier League in Sam Allardyce within the space of six weeks. They yeah. made a number of huge mistakes when they first came in, but they've stuck with it and, you know... They've, they've stuck with it. I noticed the other day they've invested quite, you know, they continue to invest money in it and I think they... Blackburn, Ooh. that lost last last night was the first, wasn't it, for 10 or 11 who was, games? Uh, who was that guy they appointed to do the PR? Oh, yes. Go, blimey. Who was that guy, Matt, who the, they appointed to do the PR on Airbnb? Yes, you know. Absolute car crash. What was he called? Yeah. Which, which one? The local guy or? No. It was the local guy. I better not mention him. I better not mention him because we might be. Uh, yeah, yeah. But I know what you mean anyway. That's it. But anyway, signings. You know what? When, when you mentioned Roberto Carlos there for Birmingham, John, um, um, I, can, I, can, I can't quite remember this myself, although I, I, I was around. Well, I wasn't working. I was at school, but. but I, you always hear that great story one of the lads tell, about slightly older than me, about, about Harry Haslam, the Sheffield United manager, going over to watch um, a club game in Argentina. And um, and uh, he, he fancied San Diego Maradona, who was 17, for Sheffield. You were in the second division at the time. And apparently they'd agreed to sign him. They'd agreed to sign him for 200 grand. And, she, and, and he's agreed the fee. And the Sheffield United board allegedly wouldn't, Stump up the 200 grand, and instead they paid 160 grand for Maradona's then teammate Alex Sabella, um, who came over to Sheffield, didn't quite cut it. In fact, they sold him to Leeds, I think. I think he ended up at yeah. Leeds, didn't he? So, um, I don't know whether that's apocryphal or not, but, but apparently they, the, the Northern Lads like to tell that story. I mean, just a basic one we, we spoke about Everton, and I think Everton more than any club has been you know linked with so many good players and 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 and, and, and who eventually don't don't sort of don't materialise, but Raquel me was, was was the one. Mm. I mean, 2000 and... I don't know. I mean, he played for Villarreal against Everton. Wonderful player, Raquel me, And he was always linked with Everton. And then finally, it appeared on the club's official website that he'd signed. You know, and, and I mean, 2007, that he'd signed and it was, it was it was done and dusted. And, you know, Evertonians were were absolutely delighted, you know. And, um, and it turns out that what happened was that it was a... It was a practice run that had actually gone live. So oh, Everton, it, it was a, it was a shambles back then, pal. Fifteen years ago, and and everyone was getting out the the, the bunting for one of the Argentina's great um, playmakers, and um, and it turns out that some some bod had sort of designed a page ready to go and pressed the uh, rather than the save button and pressed the publish <laughs> button. Oh my god. I and presume it was, it was. I presume their designs on him, but it just didn't. You know. Oh, so massive designs on him. Oh, John. No, he played in that in that infamous um, right. um, Champions League qualifier um, for Villarreal, mm. and he was linked then and ever since. I mean, I mean he, he was. Moyes was a massive fan of him, and, and, and Everton were always linked with him. And um, and and then after that, other such players. I remember they were linked with Matino. I remember Everton being with Virgil van Dijk, you know, and he went to Southampton in, 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 instead. And there's, there's, um, but that one, you know, you generally, they had course, I think it was over the line because it was published um, on the website. 
Wow, fantastic. Love it, love it. Brilliant, brilliant. Great stuff, great stuff. Mike, Mike, Mike Hughes has been um, the show and must be, must be an Everton fan. Welcome along, Mike. But uh, I'm sure we'll be interested to, uh, interested to hear that one. Guys, thanks so much for, for so many stories. Really good, really good stuff and good news today. Thanks, thanks a lot. See you same time, same place next week.